What's up? My name is Matt Issa, here to bring you episode 9 of Blazing the Trail. On this episode, we'll be spotlighting Mr. Big Shot, Chauncey Billups. Please remember that the article I wrote on Billups is also live as we speak, and you can find the link to that and parts 1 through 8 of our series in the description below or just by visiting basketballnews.com. On this episode, we have Bryce Simon of the Pistons Pulse and Sports Illustrated's Draft Digest to do the exercise we did with Cody Hodeck on episode five with Andre Kirilenko and Tyler Brin on episode eight with Penny Hardaway. And then we spent some time reminiscing the glory days with Billups' former coach and 15-year NBA assistant coach, Dave Hanners. Again, please be sure to check out the article I wrote on Billups along with the insights I got from Bryce and Dave, has a film breakdown done by Bryce Simon, aesthetic graphics, and a ton of great quotes. Anyway, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you turn to for podcast consumption. We have one more round of great interviews with players and coaches coming up, and I just really don't want you guys to miss out. For example, next week, we will be potting it out with Jason Williams. Yes, the elbow pass guy, that Jason Williams. So yeah, do the thing, subscribe, and stay tuned. Without further ado, I give you Blazing the Trail. We are here today with chapter nine, volume nine, whatever you want to call it, of Blazing the Trail. We are here with a very special guest, a very dear friend of mine, probably my closest friend in the basketball space. Um, He is the, in my opinion, the expert on all things current day Pistons, the host of my favorite Pistons podcast, Pistons Pulse. He is a contributor at Detroit Bad Boys, and most recently he has joined, they call it the Draft Digest for Sports Illustrated. Am I right? Okay. Yes. Yep. Bryce Simon, otherwise known as Motor City Hoops on Twitter. What is up, my friend? What's up, Matt? Man, I was thinking about this as we were about to record, and we've talked a lot of hoops. We've texted back and forth. We've been on phone calls, but... We've never done it in this format. You know, we've Mm -hmm. never been able to just sit down and and record a podcast. I guess you did come on um, whenever it was Motor City Hoops. Um, So I guess this will be the second time we've been able to do it or third. But um, coming on your podcast, what you got going here. And I'm glad that you put current day Pistons because I know we're going to talk about Chauncey. And I did my homework and Mm -hmm. I watched the going to work team and all of that stuff. But if there is an expert in me, it's definitely the last two years of Pistons not necessarily the historical perspective as much. Now I checked myself cause I know we have a uh, Keith and he's, you know, he's like the expert on yes. pretty much everything from like 2019 to like 1950 whenever they were, they were Fort Wayne Pistons or whatever. But um, yeah, no, the last couple of years you've been crushing it, man. It feels like just yesterday me and you were 
I don't even know what our like platform was like a year and a half ago, but we had some sort of platform and, you know, we met and we've become really good friends since then. And it has all culminated in our discussion today regarding one Chauncey, Mr. Big Shot Billups. Um, we're going to, as we did with Andre Kirilenko and Penny Hardaway, we are going to take Chauncey Billups Best career year, 2005-2006 season, the year he was, I believe, fifth in MVP voting, second team All-NBA, um, two wins away from going to the finals for the third straight year with those Detroit Pistons. We're going to take that season, and we are going to try and figure out where he ranked in the league hierarchy, because as me and you both know, voting, MVP voting, All-NBA voting isn't always the best especially when it comes to these kind of forward-thinking revolutionary players. And just to reiterate why we're doing this, a lot of people are like, why are you doing this? We're talking about the revolutionary skill, not their all-time standing. Well, the whole point of having a revolutionary skill, uh, a progressive skill, is that the, the things that make winning basketball have not changed. The only real change that's happened in NBA history is the space on the court and how fast we get into sets. But other than that, it's pretty much the same concepts. You know, the, the best teams have a certain, uh, certain set of attributes. And so when you have like Billups, a revolutionary skill, it's important in the context of his era because a lot of guys didn't have the skill. So it gives him a leg up and therefore makes him a sneakily better player than we would have perceived because despite the things that make winning basketball being the same throughout NBA history, we didn't even, we didn't always know what made winning basketball as analysts, as fans of the game. So that's why we need to go retroactively back and kind of see, okay, this Billups guy, not only was he ahead of his time, but being ahead of his time made him really damn good for his time. Um, before I turn the, the mic over to you, the reason we're choosing this 2005-2006 season, because it is the change of guard from the old school Larry Brown defensive oriented to Flip Saunders, who, you know, God rest his soul. Everyone has kind of mixed opinions of him, but whatever you think of him, he was a very good offensive coach and he kind of really let Billup ex Billups express himself a little bit more than Brown did. And that signaled probably the best season of his career. Now, Bryce, before we get into this, can you really quickly from watching him kind of explain the need to knows of Billups game so we can kind of orient ourselves to him? Yeah. So, I mean, I think what you talked about with a winner and what constitutes winning basketball. And I really think Chauncey exemplified that. So I know we're here to talk about the pull-up shooting and all of that. And, and even what that led to more than just making shots, Matt, because that opened up all sorts of other opportunities in his game as well. But you put me on to per 100 possessions, right? We, we always do things in context of per game, points per game, rebounds per game. Per 100, Chauncey's numbers are incredible. He led the NBA in assists per 100 possessions by far that season at 13.2. He was third in points. And the Pistons were the second to last in the NBA in pace that season. So when you just look at the numbers, 
not only did we able to pinpoint this skill, not only were you able to pinpoint this skill, but even in less possessions than what most of the other people around him were getting. And I just think he also, there was times I watched the film, Matt, and I was like, be more aggressive, Chauncey. Why didn't you take that shot? Why, why did, but just go get a bucket. But he was playing with really good other players and he was playing within a system. And you could tell it was like, hey, Ben Wallace is going to guard all night for us on the defensive end. We're going to run a set and get him a bucket. We're going to get him involved on the offensive end. Okay, Sheed hasn't been getting involved. We got to get him a pick and pop. We got to get Rip running off the, the baseline floppy or whatever it was. And then just the way he controlled the game, Matt, like you could see just little subtle things in the film I watched. He's pointing guys like even before the play happens, he's like, no, 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 you need to be over in that corner because when they help, then the lob's going to be there and you're going to be out of the way. Like just his leadership and the way he contributed to winning was incredible to watch. Yeah. And I think that's, you're getting at a, a certain aesthetic about Billups game that really endeared him on fans at the time. There was a, a calmness, a calmness yes. to him. He, you earn the, the moniker, Mr. Big Shot, because you have this affinity for clutch moments. And yeah, like you said, it's just a, a, a real, a real, he reminds me a little bit of what we think of kind of Chris Paul today with the sure. kind of uh, control, the it's at his speed. You, you play under his terms. You can't really rattle him, can't speed him up. He kind of decides when he wants to speed things up, slow things down. And I want to make a, I had this in my notes because you talked about the pace thing. Uh, the Pistons kind of remind me of like the Alex Smith Chiefs where, oh, where you have your like, that to me, no, 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 think about it. Like you have like this, um, this game managing quarterback, Alex Smith, you know, he's, he's got certain limitations and I think this Pistons team had certain limitations, uh, and so to counteract that, they're like, we're going to kind of eliminate the number of variables that could go wrong by playing at this pace. Um, you've heard, I've heard, uh, I think it was Al Michaels who said when this is under Larry Brown's regime, but Flip Saunders kind of follows this, this paradigm. Um, they want to, they want to limit the opportunities the opposing team has to score. And so they play the slow, methodical, probing, grinded out pace. Uh, and that kind of, uh, if you listen to some of those former Pistons, it kind of made the league despise them because that, that style, I mean, me and you, we, we enjoyed it. We enjoyed some of the X's and O's, enjoy the defense, the communication, the, co the collectivity of it all. But like a lot of fans are like, you know, this, these 70 to 75 games, we, I think we've had enough of them. I think we're past that. Um, you know, people always make fun when they talk about like the problems of the dead ball era. It's always that Pacers piston series. They're like pointing to the scoreboard where it's like, you know, yeah, it was it was kind of tough, but it was there's a lot of great moments to it, a lot of great defense, you know. And, and for historical context around this, and, and I didn't remember this, Matt, but mm. when I was looking up, like I looked up everything about that season, the NBA champions, MVP, but he, only five teams averaged more than 100 points per game that season mm -hmm. in the NBA. And the Portland Trailblazers averaged less than 90. As a team, averaged less than 90 points per game. Zach Randolph was actually their leading scorer, 18 points per game. This is 2005, 2006, of course. So it, it was a little bit of that time in that area. You know, it seems so far or so long ago that, you know, we're almost on 20 years now and the game has changed so much in terms of pace. 
but it, it really was a little bit played at a different, just a different pace. Yeah. And, you know, I know we're getting on a little tangent here, but like, and the thing is like, they weren't, the efficiency wasn't like as bad as you'd think for the scoring. The thing is it would take them forever to get into these sets. Like they wouldn't start the action until there's like 14 seconds left on the shot clock. And I always tell people, if you want to learn about the X's and O's of basketball, that's the perfect area era to get started with. Cause you get, you get the chance to kind of see it all. It's so easy to point it all out, you know? And I'm sure it was like, it's such a change on your eyes. I know I, I went from watching this to some uh, Jared Vanderbilt film for an article <laughs> I wrote. And I'm just like, you know, the 2022 Timberwolves, the speed, they, they were on like six actions in the time the Pistons got like one floppy play set up. And, and it plays into what we're talking about with Chauncey though, right? Because I think one thing we're going to talk about here is the pull up in transition, right? Like that's mm-hmm. what he was really good at and it was deadly. And could you imagine if he had the freedom that today's NBA players have to do that in transition and you got to see a couple of them. It's like, man, he looks so good with this shot. This just dribble into can stop on a dime, shoot it in a phone booth. And then again, what he was able to create because guys had to play him for that pull up and it was so effective and so efficient. Yeah. And we talk about this last episode with Penny Hardaway. And the thing about these revolutionary guys, it's like they come along and it's not like right after they're done, the whole league changes at once. Like based on what they did, it takes time for the league to kind of examine like, oh, this is actually a way better way to do things. But with Penny Hardaway, he was kind of one of the first elite guards to be both like a great passer and great scorer. You know, before that, think of like the all-time guards, um, John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas, they're like floor generals. They, they set their teammates up before they worry about themselves. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm sure right when I tell you, you could probably think of some of the passes you've seen Chauncey Billups make some of the flair, the way he liked to, you know, put some English on the ball. Magic Johnson was actually his favorite player growing up. I don't know if you could see that a little bit in the way he tries to facilitate. So like you get what I'm saying though, like that's kind of the, how they were brought up, like what uh, society kind of made them believe was the right way to do things. And that's why coaches, like when you talk to the coaches of that time, like, you know, uh, coach Woodson, coach Hanners, who are also part of this, this uh, will be part of the article. um, They loved Billups because he kind of, he kind of fit into what they, uh, what they wanted, like the prototypical point guard to be, you know, he, he was a floor general, even with Saunders, like letting him loose a little bit more than Brown did, you still are left wanting more. You're like, this guy should be a 25 point per game scorer, you know? But I think that's what made Chauncey great, Matt, Mm -hmm. was he was willing to do all of those things. He was so willing to be unselfish. And you mentioned earlier, like the calmness he played with, but what was impressive to me was as soon as he saw an advantage, he was ready to take it. As soon as he saw that opportunity, like he'd just be dribbling around, probing, probing. And like, I, I think I'll have it on the breakdown that I do, the video breakdown. I think it's Tayshawn goes back door and boom, it's out of his hands for the lob pass. Or somebody makes a mistake and, and doesn't, you know, step up just enough and he's ready to rise up and knock down the shot. What a, the suddenness. And then I, I can never find the right word, Matt, but like this, the intensity of his change of speeds and change of pace was just so apparent and it made him so effective. Yeah. I think uh, what I like to call it, and I use this to, they're completely different players, but when I was watching Zach Levine, it kind of came to me. It was like a, 
he goes from docile, you know, really passive to assertive, like in the yes. blink of an eye. But Billups kind of, uh, we're using a lot of analogies, we're setting this up a lot, but it'll make sense as we as we get deeper in the weeds. But um, he reminds me of a, and he was always like this, but he reminds me of like an experienced boxer who like, yeah, he's past his his physical prime. So he has to like pick his spots. And with Billups, it's like, you know, he was still in his athletic prime per se, but he was always like picking his spots. He's always kind of jabbing, jabbing, jabbing. He's like, okay, this is when I need to attack. This is when I need to be more aggressive. This is when I have to go from playmaker to scorer. Um, so that transitions us a little bit more. Me and you've been texting a little bit about this and I'm going to say a statement and I'm pretty sure you agree with me, but I want you to expand on it. After I watched Billups, a little bit more thoroughly than I had ever had. I came away even more impressed with his offense and um, a little bit surprised by the kind of defender he was. Let's put it that way. You want to expand? Yeah, I just, for what, maybe it's what you go into something with expectations, right, mm-hmm. Matt? I just did a Boyan Bogdanovich breakdown. Um, as he's been traded to the current Detroit Pistons here in 2022. Uh-huh. And I go in with the expectations that he's an awful defender because that's what the metrics say. That's what Twitter says. That's what everybody says. And so you kind of go in with a certain expectation and it's like, oh, it wasn't as bad as what I thought because you go in with these super low expectations. Maybe I just went in with super crazy high expectations because when I was watching Chauncey and the going to work, I was, you know, at the end of high school. So I wasn't watching the defensive end of the floor back then. You know, this is the first time I've really watched. This you know, is when Chauncey. you still had your first step. You weren't worried yeah. about anybody's defense. Yeah. I never had a first step. Matt. <laughs> I had a jump shot. That was it. Um, but watching it, I was like, yeah, I mean, he's good. But like all defensive team, I wasn't seeing it. And in, in one of the games we talked like Mike James was giving him fits all game long. And so it, it was interesting. I did think he was good, like navigating ball screens. He knew he could go under a ball screen. You know, he, he was a mm-hmm. smart player. He was strong. So you couldn't expose him in the post. He was really good. And I think this is vital for guards, Matt. I'm interested to see what you think. He was really good swiping down at the ball, you know, so mm-hmm. if big gets the ball in the paint. He brings it down. Chauncey's in there swiping at it. But I guess it was almost like his isolation defense against somebody like Mike James. He really didn't do super great. And that just kind of took me back a little bit. Yeah, I was watching on uh, old Knicks Pistons game from 2006. And, you know, Jamal Crawford, who when I think of him, I think of like crossover, crossover, pretty tough contested midway mid-range jumper. He was giving him the business. He was getting to the rim like it was nobody's business. Um, I will agree with you. He was really good. And this was important for that era at digging down from the perimeter into the post. I think he had strong hands. I think he was just a strong guy for that position. Um, he wasn't much of a defensive playmaker as a, at least as much as yeah. I had expected. His, no, no, his steel right. numbers that, were kind of middle of the pack. I say it's one of the low, I have one of the mm-hmm. lowest in my notes. So I just assume by guard standards, but 1.3 mm-hmm. steals per 100 possessions that season. Yeah. That's pretty. I mean, when you think about like when we're like trying to prop Billups, put him in it today, I feel like without doing any research, you'd kind of assume just from reputation being on those, really great Pistons teams defensively that he was um, a better defender than that. But no, I would say like, I mean, and the thing is we're going to get into this like point guard defense. Uh, It won't, it won't break you 
it won't make or break your team. I mean, the Pistons had like a historically great defense in 2003, 2004 with Billups, the forefront of it. Um, I would say he's like probably, and you, you might agree, like a slightly above average point guard defender. So, so I know this isn't what we're doing, Matt, but mm-hmm. I will say this as we talk about it. In my notes, I have he was very good operating over the top of ball screens. He mm-hmm. knew when he could go under ball screens, and he was strong, right? So you wouldn't mm-hmm. be able. I wonder if he actually would have fit really well in 2022 because of there's such a ball screen heavy league, and he seemed to defend in ball screens pretty well. And so it, it is interesting though, those teams hard hedged a lot. There wasn't yes. as much switching. They yes. played a lot as not a lot, but they played zone. They trapped, they threw these funny little presses. Like it was very fun to watch because it's something different than what we see in 2022, but the ball screen stuff specifically, I wonder if he would transition well into 2022. Yes. I know. Obviously like that's like the most important point of attack skill these days is kind of that uh that screen navigation i will say i don't i don't know how much he could get away with going under anymore is the that's thing because he did he no, did like to go point. under a lot on those ball screens that's true um especially i know against the lakers i watched a little bit of that 2004 finals whenever gary payton was on ball he kind of felt comfortable going under on his screen um that's another thing on the flip side though nobody could go I noticed that nobody would go under against Billups on a on a ball screen. If they did, he no. he he made to he made sure to let them know. Yeah, yeah, that, you were going to make him pay, and that's what, again the the video breakdown that I'll do for mm-hmm. this. Um, there's a really fun clip where like he goes to one side, gets him to kind of lean, goes back to the other side, gets him to cut because the pull up jumper is so lethal, and then mm-hmm. eventually he ends up getting to the basket. Actually, may have been against the Lakers in that finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so another cool little nugget I wanted to, to talk about here really quickly, you look at that field goal percentage, I think it's like 41.8%. And I think that catches a lot of people off guard. They're like, Bill, this great shooter, blah, blah, blah. Well, and that's the problem with field goal percentage because Luke Ridenour also had the same field goal percentage around that 41.8 ish. And his true shooting was about 10% less than Billups, if I'm not mistaken. It's included in the article. I don't have that exact number on top of my head, but I know Billups was over a 60% true shooting mark that season, which was insane. I want to read you this stat line really quickly that I pulled up from uh, backpicks.com. In that 2005-2006 season, Billups was 82nd uh, percentile in scoring volume, 96th in scoring efficiency, 98th in passing, 99th in playmaking, 97th in spacing, 98th in offensive box plus minus, and 96th in augmented plus minus. So basically like 90s across the board. I'm going to ask you this at the very end. I'm going to save it for now, but I was, I'm just going to put this in your head so that you can think about it. But how many players in the NBA this season were better offensive players than Billups? You know, that's just something to, to take with us as we go through this exercise. You have me nervous now whenever we get to the part where we start ranking players because those numbers sound so good. Now I feel like I'm going to sound like an idiot with where I end up having him ranked in this season because it does sound really, the, the three point percentage was really good. His free throw percentage and he got there at six and a half times a game. Mm-hmm. I will say, Matt. The scoring in the paint left a little bit to be desired for me. I know we're mm-hmm. not maybe necessarily getting into that. Um, we will. 
Okay, it's it's a tad limited, I thought, just because he's not this just explosive athlete. And so lots of times it'd end up with dump offs or sometimes he'd get in there and he'd end up, if the pass wasn't there, the shot wasn't there, he'd end up passing it back out, you know? And so um, there was a little bit of that that left just a little bit to be desired with him. Yeah. Um, I think, okay. So one thing I will say, Ben Wallace did mess up the spacing a lot. And he, <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> he did, um, he did kind of make it hard for Billups to, to dance in the trees. Like imagine like, you know, think about Nash's spacing and how open it was for him to kind of navigate and then think about Phillips. But another thing I will say he was, and that's why he needed to, to draw so many fouls from the perimeter because he didn't have like the, he wasn't that great of a finisher by my eye. He had a lot of those, like everyone loves those circus layup shots he would hit. That's usually not a good sign when you're talking about efficiency, when you have to rely on so many of those, um, those acrobatic finishes. So can I, Josh Jackson's name just went into my head as we, he's not on the Pistons anymore. He's actually with the Toronto. There's a reason. There's a reason. Yeah. But he may fit with the Raptors really Mm -hmm. well. Like if he's going to succeed in the NBA, the Raptors is a team, but I always thought about that with Josh Jackson. He never made the easy ones, always made the acrobatic getting fouled, throwing it up over his head. And I'm like, should I be impressed? Should I be worried? Because you can't count on those ones continuing Uh to go in for an 82 game schedule. And you know, it, Turns out you you really couldn't. So yeah, it's it's hard to really buy into those ones too much. Yeah. No, and that's my thing. I talk about this in the and after this, I swear we're gonna start the exercise. But um, um, I talk about this in the Dirk article where it's like, you know, God rest his soul again, uh, Kobe Bryant, credible tough shot maker. But like in the NBA, you don't get points for for hitting tough shots. You don't get extra points. You know, you get the same amount of points if you have like a seven footer, like Dirk, who just, you can't block a shot and he hits it from the mid post or if Kobe Bryant's like fading away and he's got like three guys on him, it's, it's still worth two points and it's probably easier to rely on what Dirk's doing. So yeah, always in these kind of exercises, pretty much always we're going to go with the, the great good shot getter than the all time tough shot maker, you know? I, I love, and I stole that from you, Matt, from mm-hmm. the quest for the best. Yeah. As you know, I listened to all the episodes and I'm super proud of you for everything you did with that. And you're reaping the benefits of that now. And, and that's kind of where our start actually, you mentioned our mm-hmm. start. That's what yeah. it was. I'm, I was driving a tractor out here in Kansas and we're having a phone conversation talking about the quest for the best. But um, I, I love that. You know, there's a difference between easy shot creators or good shot creators. Maybe there's no such thing as an easy shot, but good shot creators and tough shot makers and you definitely want those easy or good shot creators um because that you know you're just going to eventually you're going to hit those at a higher percentage awesome so now for those unfamiliar with our little exercise how we do this since we know for sure that billups was an all-star level player in 2005 2006 we're only going to focus on the all-stars so keep in mind we're not ranking the top 25 players we're just trying to find out where billups fits in this range um, there's, I think, four guys I had, I told you about earlier that I wanted to just mention um, really briefly. I'm going to mention them at specific parts. We'll talk about them just really briefly that guys who didn't make the all-star team, but maybe should have, but are right there in terms of production. But the first thing we're going to do is I'm going to name players that were definitely better than Billups in 2005, 2006. Um, Bryce, if there's anyone you want to add or take out, please let me know. Or if there's just anyone you want to talk about really briefly, but I have in no order, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, 
MVP Steve Nash, Dirk Nowinski, Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, and Kevin Garnett. Okay, hold on. This is suspenseful. Sorry. So I only had three of those that were in a completely different tier that I don't think there's an art. So Kobe, LeBron, and Dirk, I had above Mm -hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And I I put these guys in order. So I had Kobe at one, LeBron two, Dirk three. That's what I had. A quick ode to Kobe since I kind of uh, besmudged his name just a second ago. All-time scoring season this year. One of the great, like this is like a Michael Jordan-esque scoring season. So yeah, for sure. But why? what about these other guys? What was kind of, I'm sure you still think they're, you still think all the guys I named are better, right? I have them all listed better than him. Mm-hmm. Every one of the the players you named, you named six guys, right? Those three plus KG, Duncan, and Nash. Is that correct? I had Wade too. Okay, so all four of those. Yeah. Perfect. So mm-hmm. I have all four of those guys ahead of him, but in the same tier as him where I think that there's a debate. So we're actually, we're, we're right on pace. That That is my, the, the seven names you gave, Matt, are my mm-hmm. top seven players in order. Okay. Kobe, is LeBron, there- Dirk. Wade, KG, Duncan, Nash. Is there anything you want to talk about with those guys? Or do you think we, we kind of can, it's pretty self-explanatory why we think what we think. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't think there's a whole lot of like Dwayne Wade blew up this season, right? Won the Mm -hmm. NBA finals. You know, it's only his third year in the league. KG is incredible. He's kind of hitting the back end of his prime. Like if you wanted to start, but, but really so is eh, Chauncey's got a couple more years. Duncan, not peak scoring Duncan anymore, like early in his career, but still highly effective. And then obviously Nash is on the back-to-back of his, um, you know, two MVPs. So I, I don't have a whole lot of debate or argument with you on those guys. Okay, awesome. So those guys are off the board. Now we're going to do the players that are, we're definitely, I'm going to call them less impactful because I don't want to be a negative Nancy, but less impactful than Billups. And again, we'll do the same thing. If there's anybody you you think that we need to talk about more or just let me know. Okay, but I've got his teammate, Rip Hamilton. He's last Alan, on my list. Allen Iverson, Jermaine O'Neal, Ray Allen. And then here's one of those guys I mentioned that did not make an all-star team, but he did make the all-NBA team, Carmelo Anthony, um, Tony Parker, who we'll talk about a little bit more in the article, Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, Another one of his teammates, Rashid Wallace, and then the 21-year-old Chris Bosh. Those were all guys I thought that Billups was pretty clearly better than. So you said his teammate who? Who was uh, his Rip, other one? Rip Hamilton and Rashid Wallace. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we are pretty well on the same page. So we got a couple, though, that we're mm-hmm. going to – I have a couple that are pretty low, so we'll be interested. Because that leaves us Ben Wallace – Mm-hmm. Shaq, Yao Ming, Gasol, Bosch, Brand, Sean Marion, Gilbert Arenas, Paul Pierce. Yeah, I, I had um, I had Bosch in the Billups being better than I think Bosch was a year, still a year too young, and okay, he missed okay. a little bit of time. Okay, perfect. Yeah, because I had bought, like I say, Rip was actually, I had 26 players listed for this, Matt. Mm. So Rip was actually player 26, and then Bosch mm. was just above him. Third year in the league, obviously came in with, with LeBron and Wade, but not quite there yet. I had him kind of in the, the youngsters, not quite ready. 
Um, so here's the three guys that none of these guys were all stars. Although I think they probably should have been, I just want to name them really quickly. I don't think any of them were better than Billups. So it's kind of a mute point, but, uh, Manu Ginobili who like per minute wise, probably one of the 15 best players in the world this season. But the thing is he plays 1000 minutes less than Billups. So that's kind of a mute point. Um, guy who I studied for the series, who we actually did the same exercise with Andre Kirilenko. I think his thing is that he's like a, a, a great defender, a versatile defender, but the problem is he doesn't, he's not a good paint protector. Like he gets a lot of blocks, but he doesn't deter people from coming in the paint. So I think that kind of holds him back from being that next tier player, but I think he was an all-star this year. He also does miss, I believe 13 games. And then lastly, Jason Kidd, who is like, he's the defender that people think of Billups. Like he's what people think Billups is as a defender. The reason he doesn't make the all-star team this year. I think he should have made it over Carter. I think he was better than Vince Carter this year, but Vince Carter gets the credit because of the scoring numbers. Um, the reason I had Billups over kid is because I think that kid is, has lost a little bit offensively. He was never really that great of a half court offensive player anyways. So like I would, I prefer we're talking about Billups as one of the best offensive players in the world. I prefer that package with like neutral above average defense at guard position than elite guard defender with kind of negative offense at this point. No, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like, I don't want anybody to listen to this and make it sound like we're saying Chauncey wasn't a good defender. Like mm-hmm. he was still a good defender, especially for a guard. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that he was the elite defender that maybe he's talked about exactly. at times. And so, yes, with him being as good as he was this season offensively, that provides great value with the fact, even if he was just a neutral defender, it would probably still be better than kid, but he was much better than a neutral defender. So I do think that package together is better than what Jason Kidd was. Exactly. And the thing is, um, I was going to shelve this for later, but I might as well mention it now. You have to understand that Pistons construct, the team construct, like, yeah, Prince and Hamilton could kind of handle the ball and pick and roll, side pick and rolls in some spots, but there was not really another high-end creator on this team. So like the onus was on Billups to do a lot. And the fact that he was able to make this team along with Flip Saunders, um, excellent offensive coaching, make them like a a top six offense in the league that season. That's very, very valuable for a defensively oriented team to be that good offensively. But speaking of offensive players, now we're getting into the true on the fence guys here. The first guy I had with just an incredible offensive season. That's kind of been lost in the fold Gilbert arenas. I'm going to turn things over to you because I've been talking too much. What did you, what did you think about the Gilbert arenas Chauncey Billups debate? Yeah, so I, I have Gilbert two spots below Chauncey mm-hmm. in my in my ranking. He averaged almost 30 a game, six assists. He's kind of in the middle. This is the, the middle of a three-year peak for Gilbert where he just was really, really good. Um, played in 80 games. This is just his fifth year in the league for reference. Antoine Jameson on this team, Karan Butler, the next two best players or leading scores anyway. They ended up losing in the first round to the LeBron's Cavs um, in six games. So I do have him lower but obviously an incredible scoring season and offensive output from Gilbert Arenas. Yeah. I think the big differentiator for me, because Arenas has Billups beat in volume scoring and then Billups is more efficient. But I think the big thing was that Billups, along with being this incredible on ball player, he was like really good off ball. 
Um, I pulled up a stat from 2003 to 2008 when Billups shared the floor with Lindsey Hunter, the backup point guard at the time. His true shooting was around the same. It was like 1% less than what it was when Hunter was off the floor. So that shows that he doesn't need to just have the ball in his hands to be successful. Meanwhile, when Gilbert Arenas shared the floor with Chucky Atkins, who was their backup point guard at the time, his true shooting decreased by 10%. So that kind of shows that Arenas was kind of playing hard in ball. And obviously that's, that's all well and good, but to be able to do both play hard in ball and then play like your own version of curry ball is, is really, really good. Yeah. I mean, and I know people don't always like this. Like when you say impact winning or winning mm-hmm. plays, and I know people think it's just coach speaker. There's like some truth to that. And, and I don't, believe in empty stats at the same time. Like I hate that narrative with Russell Westbrook at times, but there is a difference. Like you, you made a great point and we're probably going to keep going back to it. I'm going to steal it now. Chauncey really made that offense go because none of those other guys were created. Obviously Ben Wallace wasn't Rashid wasn't rip as good as he was. It was all off ball, just being a marathon runner and just wearing people out. And there's something valuable and special about that but somebody had to have the ball in their hands, orchestrating all of that, being patient when they needed to be patient, being aggressive when they needed to be aggressive. And I think sometimes people underestimate how hard that is, Matt. Like it's almost a complete shift in mindset. And that's not easy to do within a possession, let alone within a quarter or a game. Yeah. And the thing is like, I think one of the big themes of this past playoffs is that typically you need multiple creators to yeah. win, to go deep in the playoffs. And the Pistons kind of did it. And like I said, Rip could handle a little bit. Tyshawn could handle a little bit, but they really, it was like, it was pretty much just Billups. And the fact that they were able to consistently be in the thick of things is just so impressive. It says a lot about their defense, but it also says so much about just the kind of offensive player Billups was. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Now the next guy, um, I want to talk about is Sean Marion. Just a couple notes that I had. I think he's similar to your defender as Andre Kirilenko. I think he's a little bit less of a defender than Kirilenko just because he doesn't have the shot blocking, but he is a better offensive player in terms of that acrobatic play finishing. I think this is probably his best season, especially because Stoudemire's out for almost the whole year. And he's basically asked to be Steve Nash's pick and roll buddy, but because he's not as good of a defender as Kirilenko and he is like a pretty poor on ball guy, not a really good passer. I just had a hard time kind of saying that he was better than Billups. So that's kind of why I gave the nod to Billups. I agree. I had him right below Gilbert Arenas. Mm -hmm. He was the next guy on my list. Uh, He had an incredible year, Matt, Mm -hmm. like 22 and 12, essentially two steals, one in 1.7 blocks, he shot 33% from three this season on 3.3 attempts. You know, it's, you know, Sean Marion was an incredible athlete, incredible player. And everybody remembers him for the little funky shot, you know, but he made 81% of his free throws as well. Um, Yeah. Amari's injured and they still, you know, make it to the conference finals. So uh, a really incredible year, probably his best season from Sean Marion. But it still was just a little bit below. I think you touched on it right there with, there's just something valuable with an on-ball creator that you have to give the nod to Chauncey still. Yeah. And like, the thing is like, um, not to refer to the actual stat VORP, cause I know it gets made fun of a lot now ever since the Jokic thing, but like the, 
it's a lot harder to find like one of these elite offensive creators than it is a guy to finish. Cause they think about it like the year before this one, Stoudemire is doing pretty much all the stuff offensively that Marion had to do this year. So it's like, it's super valuable that he could do all that. And like, not everyone is given that insane athleticism, but it's even more valuable to have a point guard who can, you know, make your offense go print, not all on his own, but like with him kind of handling a lion's share of the load. Yeah. I mean, he, we keep talking about it, but he just did, he did that for this team and it's really, really hard to replace that. And if you're not doing that, then you got to bring a lot of value in some other way. Now the next guy I want to talk about the other Houston rocket who made an all-star team this season, Yao Ming. I'm going to turn the floor over to you. Yeah. So I had him a little bit lower as well here. I actually have him 16th uh, on my, you know, my total big board played in 57 games. The Rockets didn't make the playoffs. They went 34 and 48. He was playing with McGrady. And then the next best player on that team or scoring wise was Rafer Alston. You know, it's, it's probably hard. Maybe, maybe you'll correct me here, Matt, because Mm -hmm. I remember Yao Ming being an incredible basketball player that just wasn't ever really able to stay healthy. And maybe, maybe that's unfair. And maybe I'm holding that against him a little bit, but um, I just had a hard time ranking him any higher and definitely not higher than Chauncey. Yeah. Do you remember uh, Rick Smith's? Absolutely. Yeah. So he his game, for those at home, very similar to Rick Smith's offensively, where it's like he's kind of a quick hitter. You don't want him taking too many dribbles, but he's got like a really nice, like low post finishing game. He's got a nice mid-range jump shot. He's got so much size, but defensively, he's like, just an insane drop defender at the time. He takes up so much space in the paint. Um, very efficient scorer. Thing is, is kind of fallbacks are you don't want him, like I said, you don't want him taking more than one or two dribbles just because how long it takes the ball to get back up to his hands because of his size. And then his passing game was never really anything to write home about. I was kind of like you where it's like 25 games missed is a long time, especially when Billups plays 81 um, that's another underrated thing about that, that starting five, the, the fat, what do they call them? The best five alive or whatever. Yep. Um, they never like missed games. Nobody ever missed games for some reason. They really just did go to work every day. But, um, yeah, so I was pretty, pretty solidly sold on Billups over Ming here. Uh, I real quick. And again, I know this isn't the exercise, but how do you think Yao would transition to 2022 NBA? Well, a healthy, a health, a healthy Yao Ming. Um, I mean, so the thing is he was like a, a really good free throw shooter. So like, I'm pretty certain that he would kind of figure out the, the catch and shoot pick and pop three point thing. Um, then like, I have a hard time with like thinking of any team that could really try to go small ball against him. Cause like, how do you defend the guy? And he's like, like I said, really good drop defender. He takes up a lot of space in the paint. And that's like such a big thing. Like just having these big bodies who kind of just make it so that going in the paint's like a unnegotiable, but like, I don't know. He would probably get, and not to get over too simplistic, like not get overly simplistic, make this like the, oh, Rudy Gobert can get played off the floor type ordeal. Cause it's, it's not that, but like, you know, the right team would be able to space him out and make him run around a little bit too much. And make 
make things tough on him and his team. But I mean, it would be, it would definitely be interesting seeing a seven foot five guy with like a jump shot and a nice and, touch like Ming. I mean, and let's say he was, he's, he's much better than Rudy Gobert offensively as yes. well. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and I think Rudy Gobert is better offensively than what Rudy Gobert has been allowed mm-hmm. to show. We've seen that in international play, but mm-hmm. Yao Ming was really, really good offensively had, you know, 20 plus point careers uh, or seasons in his career. So I just, I always think it's interesting what people would think about putting somebody like that, just a completely different type of player than what we really see in the league anymore. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's, it's Boban, right? Is who he is, but like super skilled on the offensive end. Yeah. Skilled Boban. I like that. Skilled Boban. Um, Speaking of like charismatic big men, who I love Boban, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I love him too. Everybody does. And a lot of people love this guy. And he's at the end of his prime. Uh, it's yes. probably his last great season, Shaquille O'Neal. And on my notes, I like, you know, I said beginning of the end for O'Neal, uh, not his usual dominant force. It's pretty clear that Wade is the guy on that Heat team. And then he misses 22 games. So it was kind of hard for me to to put him over Billups. So I went with Billups again over O'Neal. Yep. I had Shaq uh, higher here than, than Yao and, and some of these other guys. Um, but yeah, he, he's at the back end. Like I had the same thing in my notes, Matt, definitely on the downward trajectory of career word for word is what I typed in still 20 and 10 and mm-hmm. almost two blocks. Obviously they won the finals, but that was definitely Dwayne Wade's team. And, um, so yeah, I have no issues with that. He's, he's been in the league. This is his 14th year in the league. And so I, I think Billups at this point is probably better than Shaq. I, I do want to make a quick note. Just I thought some of the historical context around this exercise was fun, Matt. So the, the Heat win the championship that year, right? Shaq made $20 million. He was the highest player Miami Heat player. Any mm-hmm. guesses who was second and how much? Is it Antoine Walker? He's on the team, but no. Okay. You, uh, it's, it's, is it one of the... Oh, I interviewed him. Oh, is Jason Williams really the second highest played player on the team? He has a good season that year, I guess. I could, I could see it. Jason Williams was second highest paid player at 7.5 million. Oh, God. I mean, that's so the salary went, caps. Yeah. It went from Shaq at 20 to Jason Williams at 7.5. And of course, Wade's still on his rookie contract, you know, so um, some context there. But again, there, there's some of those fun little nuggets I found very interesting as I was doing my research. Yeah, actually, um, I went back and watched the 2006 NBA Finals. I watched like three of the six games for the Dirk um, article. And Jason Williams, man, great pull-up jump shooter. Great pull-up jump yeah. shooter. I think he would be spectacular in today's game. He would be so fun. And I, mean, I would watch every game he played. I don't know. I don't know how how the passing would look, um, but uh, spectacularly the passing was, fun. The, the passing was awesome. I love Jason Williams growing up. Him. Uh-huh. And Allen Iverson, who we just had to skate over because he was kind of past it here um, in this one, that 30 years old. But those two guys I loved watching growing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to refrain from saying anything about Allen Iverson right now because I think we'd go on a whole different different thing. We need a can 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 you do a, some sort of article at Basketball News about Iverson so you and I, I can do, do a, a podcast? I do need to. I need to. Somebody's got to dig deeper on this guy because it's like such a it's so polarizing. Like there's like the, you know, the the people who swear he's like one of the 25, 30 best players ever. And then there's like 
you know, the guys who who read uh, Moneyball and then watched the Brad Pitt movie and are like, yeah, this AI guy, he wasn't even one of the 500 best players ever, you know, where it's, he's a fun player. He's a really fun player. And there's a lot of value to the things he does. Um, but it's just like a mixed bag. And somebody's really got to, got to break that down. But um, absolutely. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about is Gasol. That is Pau Gasol in his Memphis years. It's a really good Memphis team. They finished second in the league in defense. Shane Battier's last season before he heads over to Houston and joins the Maury Ball Rockets. Um, some notes I had on Gasol. Other than Garnett, I would say Gasol's probably the best passing big man of all the bigs we're talking about in this um, podcast. Just incredibly talented offensive player. He was at the forefront of the second best defense in the league. But I will say next season, so 2006-2007, they fall to the second worst defense in the league after Battier leaves. And Gasol still plays about 60 games that year. So, like, it kind of gives you a mixed bag. You're like, okay, Gasol, he can be a part of great defenses, but he's probably not the anchor of them. And I think that right there, that kind of data point, if you look at his his team's plus minus on defense, they're actually worse usually on defense during those years with Gasol on the floor. That kind of gives me the impression that while he was a great two-way player, I I prefer like that offensive package we've talked about with Billups with a neutral to above average guard defense. Yeah, I'll be honest, Matt, this may be the one that I missed on the most. I had mm-hmm. Powell way lower on my list, mm-hmm. um, not even really in the the conversation. And, you know, he, he's still relatively young in the league, just 25 years old. The, the stat line is incredible. Mm-hmm. 20 points, nine rebounds. Like you said, the passing four and a half assists, almost two blocks right in his prime. Maybe I've always undervalued who Powell Gasol was as a player and his value. So, um you know, I had him much lower, so he wasn't really in the conversation. And um, that's probably more a oversight on my part than you overvaluing him, if I had to guess. So just a just a kind of reminder for, I guess, both you and like anyone listening, but like these guys I'm naming, it's not in any specific order. I don't sure. think yeah, Gasol's yeah. any closer to Phillips than I would probably like if I had to get like if I had to say it out loud, I would say I'm not going to say it out loud, but Gasol's definitely not like better than like the other guys I just named without a doubt. But um, anyway, so the next three guys we're going to talk about were all like super, super, super close for me. And, you know, I could, I could Perfect. be talked into either, either direction. So I'm going to, to name them and then I'm going to name one and then turn it over to you. Let's start with, I'm going to save, I'm going to save him for last. Actually, let's start with Elton Brand. Yes. What were your thoughts on Elton Brand? I was shocked here, Matt. This was a name I would have overlooked completely. And still we did this and I'm so glad like it's stuff like this. that's so much fun. So he's on the Clippers, obviously seventh year in the league, 79 games played Corey McGetty and Sam Cassell are the two next leading scorers on that team. They lost in the semifinals in seven to the Suns that year, the Clippers Mm -hmm. and a career year from Elton Brand. 25 points, 10 rebounds, two and a half assists, a steal, two and a half blocks. This was the name that I just, I just had to keep moving it up the list as I did more and more research and did more and more homework. And like, this man was balling out this season and um, he's right there. I, I do have him behind safely behind Chauncey, 
but he's definitely right there in this conversation. Yeah, no, he is. I mean, he has a really great, he's like that classic offensive big man. He works in the yeah. low block, but he's super efficient. He draws a bunch of fouls. He's got a big body. Um, and then defensively, the Clippers are a top 10 defense in the league that season. Okay. They're that's eighth. what I was interested about. Yeah. 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 So this is where, where Billups kind of beats out brand, because like, if you think about the archetype of brand, it's like, okay, he's kind of like just on the outside, forget like doing any deep statistical dive. If you think of like really efficient, low post, big man, who's like a really good defender and protector, you you're thinking, Oh, this guy's kind of like Tim Duncan. Right. And obviously we have Tim Duncan ahead of Billups here, but the difference between Duncan and brand. Okay. So the Clippers for some context play this two big man lineup with Chris Kamen and Elton brand. And when you do stuff like that, you're sacrificing offense. They were 18th in the league in offense, which is understandable. But when you sacrifice offense, the idea is that you have an elite defense. For instance, the Spurs, played a two big man lineup with Tim Duncan and Rashon Esterovich, and they were the best defense in the league, right? With Elton Brandon came in, the Clippers are only the eighth best defense in the league. And I know defense is very team dependent, but they had good defensive personnel in their guards and forwards, like thicker guys who could kind of, you know, when you have these great paint protectors, really all you want from your perimeter guys is like stronger bodies who can like, kind of pressure the ball more because you have more margin for error because you have this cleanup crew on the back line. So I think it was a little bit disappointing for me when you sacrifice all this offense and all you get is the eighth ranked defense. Yeah, no, I agree. And I just, again, was shocked that Mm -hmm. he was there. Like this was not a a name I was planning on popping up. And so um, I'm glad we got a chance to talk to him. I, I'm glad I wasn't crazy. I, I was a little nervous that maybe I had him too high on my list. So I'm I'm glad that, you know, he ended up in being these final three names we're going to talk about. And these final two are going to be really interesting. If I've done everything right in bolding out the names we've talked about, the two that I see that are left um, are going to make for quite the conversations. One really in particular. Yeah. And I'm going to save, I'm going to save the one I think you're referencing for last because yeah. of the... <laughs> The little, I, don't, uh, I don't even want to do it, but we, I know we have to, it's the ultimate clash of styles, but, um, so just with brand, one little parting thought, like if you, if you were to say that he's a top 10 player this season, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at you the wrong way. You know what I mean? That's how damn good he was. And I, I just want people to remember that now. Yeah, okay. The next, Real, he on. was second team, all NBA, man. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, so like, that's what. And so that's the first place his name pops up, right? Is second team all NBA. So like just for everybody, you know, who may be listening to us and like, you know, we're talking about stats and team constructs and whatever else, you know, I'm not saying those things are perfect. All I value all NBAs more than I value all stars, but you know, some people that know the game of basketball back then thought he was at quite possibly one of the 10 definitely top 15 players in the league this season. And I think that's where both of us have him right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think he's on that fringe, like the 11, 12 ish. Um, I've been 12. I've yeah, been 12. Yeah, exactly. So the next guy, um, he ends up playing Billups in the 2008 Eastern conference finals, Paul Pierce. Uh, I'm going to turn the floor over to you here, Bryce. 
So this was the player that I literally had right behind Chauncey in my list. Okay. This was the, so I we've talked about the seven. The seven you uh-huh. named at the very start were the ones above Chauncey. I have Chauncey at eight. Paul Pierce was number nine. And then I actually have a tier break after that. He was really good. I mean, offensively this year, Matt, 27 points a game, 6.7 rebounds, 4.7 assists, his best scoring season of his career, most free throw attempts of his career. So he's getting to the free throw line. I think the thing that I probably ended up going with is the Celtics didn't make the playoffs this year, you know, so, you know, they went 33 and 49. And so maybe I held that against Paul Pierce a little bit too much. We know how great of a player Paul Pierce is. Um, and, and I'm not going to haggle over if you have him above Chauncey, because I definitely had him right there next to him. Yeah. And like, you know, just to remind everyone, it's not so much about that exact numerical ranking. At the end of the day, we're thinking of this more in a range. And both these guys are pretty much in the same range, as is Elton Brand this season and the last guy we're going to talk about in a moment, but for what my notes, you know, of course, Pierce, um, not 100% the playmaker Billups was, I think he's a tier below that this season, but I'd say he's a more versatile scorer in the way he's able to work in the mid post. He, he still has a lot of that burst left that kind of, um, was the hallmark of his early years. He's stuck in that like team purgatory where like the Celtics, after they make the Eastern conference finals and play the nets, and all that with Antoine Walker, they're pretty bad for a little while. And then, yeah. you know, obviously they get Duncan and Allen, I mean, Garnett and Allen. But so I cheated a little bit with the the defensive side because, you know, we've talked about Billups for a guard is like a, you know, above average guard defender. But I think being like a really good defender at the three position is obviously more valuable because of the size. And I think that because... So in 2008, um, the Boston Celtics play the Cleveland Cavaliers in the second round. And of course, it was like a the whole team scheme. Um, I know Tom Thibodeau was kind of the mastermind behind that defense under Doc Rivers. But Pierce does such a great job on LeBron in that series. And the fact that it's two years later when he's lost even a little bit more athleticism, that tells me that this 2006 version of Pierce defensively is just like a really good defender. And since like, I think their offense is like, I would take Billups offensively, but I just think that since Pierce can be kind of one of the, the main cogs in and in like a, that Celtics team was a historically good defense. The fact that he's one of the main pieces in that, that's like a really good indicator for me. And that's why I ended up going with Pierce here, but very, very, very narrowly. So you make me want to go and watch that film now because, you Mm -hmm. know, the historical context around those Celtics team is if you talk about defense, who's going to get all the credit? Kevin Garnett. Rightfully so. Yeah, and absolutely rightfully so. And again, another player that I think you brought to light his all-time greatness with the quest for the best and how good he was and how close he is to a top 10 player of all time. but he's going to get a lot of that credit. And I think pretty much anybody else is going to get overlooked. Or even if you want to give Pierce credit, I think people are going to say, well, it was KG's mentality. So it would be really interesting to go back and watch the film or talk to the people who were there and kind of get some more context around the defender that Paul Pierce was um, during this time frame. He'll be in there with that uh, Allen Iverson series we're, we're working on. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, okay. So, th- you know, 
you kind of told on yourself here. I don't want to do it. I don't want to this do last it. guy, this last guy, he's like, this is a perfect philosophical argument. Okay. We're going to get into the philosophy of things, you know, because they, they play on the same team and one is the, the driver of that offense. We talk about it, you know, this Pistons team, not offensively oriented in terms of roster construction. It's more of a defensively oriented team, but the defense is quarterbacked by one of the three, for sure, three best defenders of that era, you know, depending on how you want to rank Duncan Garnett and big Ben Wallace. Um, he's, he's, he's one of the three best defenders of one of the best defensive eras ever. Uh, when he leaves the next season, the Pistons are still a pretty good defensive team. They're seventh in the league as opposed to fifth this season. But the thing is in 2006, they play LeBron James and LeBron is pretty much stymied. He's about 51% true shooting. Of course, in 2007, the iconic game five, LeBron is able to get whatever he wants um, in the paint. And a lot of that's because there was not this Ben Wallace figure in the middle. So it just tells you this guy is an all-time rim protector, all-time just defender. He has great hands. He can switch, even though they don't switch that much. He can switch. I've seen him go toe-to-toe with Manu Ginobili. Um, I have clips of stuff like that. Just like, again, all-time defender, all-time rebounder. But the problem is outside of offensive rebounding and a little bit more passing than you'd expect and his screen game, he's a pretty bad offensive player. Like he's not even good at catching lobs. He's, his hands are too strong. Like I've seen him like just miss dunks because he's so powerful sometimes. So you have this guy who's all-time defender, one of the we'll call him one of the three best defenders in the league this season. Okay. But just a bad offensive player. Then you have Billups who I'm going to go out and say it. I would say that Nash is a better offensive player this year. Nowinski, Bryant, Wade, LeBron. That's it. Five guys. So Billups to me, I I said Nowinski. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Nobody Um, calls him Nowinski. Sorry. My bad. (laughs) Sorry. But, um, so I would say like, liberally that there's five guys better offensively than Billups. So he's like the sixth best offensive player in the world. And one of the three best defensive players in the world as a, as a basketball mind, Bryce, what, what means more to you? Uh, Well, that's a whole different question. So here's why I hate this question is because as someone that covers the Pistons and hopefully some of the people that are going to come listen to this, I've get the feeling that Ben Wallace is the most beloved Piston of that era. Before I became a Pistons fan, Matt, I thought it was Mr. Big Shot. I thought Chauncey was the face of the going to work team. And I don't think it is. I think it is Ben Wallace. I've taken more heat for decisions I've made on little exercises by not picking Ben Wallace than anything else I've done as a Pistons content creator. And I'm going to do it again. Like I have Chauncey better than Ben Wallace. I have him ranked higher. Um, If you look at offensive rating per 100 possessions, Chauncey was number one in the league that season. Defensive rating per 100 possessions, Ben Wallace was there. He was number three. But I'm going to take the offensive creator, the offensive initiator, the offensive engine, all the things we've talked about. And it's not because I don't value what Ben Wallace did defensively. I understand it. but if I had to start my team with one or the other philosophically, as you're asking, I'm going to take the offensive player. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And I talked to, um, when I did the quest for the best, uh, that series you've alluded to talk to the great Dean Oliver, you know, the guy they consider to be the father of modern day analytics in basketball. And he, he said something to me that's kind of, kind of stood with me my whole life since then, which hasn't been that long, maybe two years ago, but, um, it's easier to stand out individually on offense because you can't, it's really hard to scheme out or scheme away from an offensive player. Like, you know, theoretically, obviously it wasn't really commonplace during that time, but if you, if you had a more forward thinking team, like you say, they played like the Suns in the finals, maybe they could, they could draw Wallace out of the paint, make him stay out on the perimeter. And he was, you know, he was very mobile for that time, but still, it's less ideal than having him patrol the paint. Whereas Billups, it's something you kind of can't hide from that offensive package, that pull up shooting, the playmaking, the, the decisiveness, that leadership, you can't, you can't scheme against that. And that's why I said, and this was the closest call out of all of them. I think that Chauncey Billups this season was better than Ben Wallace. Um, So before we, before we kind of talk about what that means overall for Billups this season, do you have any kind of closing thoughts on the Wallace Billups debate you'd like to add? No, I think I've said as much as I'm comfortable is, saying is on you're the topic. Contractually uh, obligated to. Amari's going to be like calling you. He's like, dude, yeah, podcast uh, is is cooked after what you said, man. Ratings I, are down. I know. I need. I just need to text him right now and ask. I, I'm literally going to do that, Matt. I want you to know it's it's going to be 10 o'clock Central Time when we finish recording this. And I'm going to text all the people in the Pistons community that I have phone numbers for and be like, all right, I just took Chauncey over Ben Wallace in 2005, 2006. Am I an idiot? Am I going to get cooked on Twitter for this take? Um, I, I'm kind of having fun with it now. I, I do truly believe this. I think Chauncey was the better player at that point, And I would personally take Chauncey over Ben Wallace um, philosophically and otherwise, just based off the stuff we've talked about. Now, I will say this um, to quell the the fears of the Pistons fans. Uh, if you asked me this question about the 2004 season, I'd probably say Wallace, just because one thing is the coach. I think that um, Brown was kind of, and you, you could tell by the way Wallace talks about Larry Brown. He loves him. He loves him to death. Uh, they were like two peas in the pod. And I think that his his coaching style was kind of better better tailored for Ben so in 2004, I would probably say Wallace, but at this point, when we finally get a little bit of that unleashed Chauncey, I would, I'd prefer that. Um, I made a statement a little bit earlier about him being probably the sixth best offensive player with guys like, you know, Pierce kind of behind him offensively, maybe Gilbert or Arenas, um, maybe Ginobili. Do you, do you agree with that though? Kind of those five guys ahead of him and then Billups probably? So what would we have? Kobe, LeBron, Dirk, Wade, and Nash? Yeah. Yeah, I'm cool with that because I, I don't think Duncan is. You know, those are all the guys we had above him in general. Mm -hmm. Duncan, I don't think is peak scoring Duncan like we saw earlier in his career. KG, probably not. Um, you know, th then you have like the bucket getters, right? Like the Paul Pierce, the Gilbert Arenas, those guys that were just straight getting. I mean, Allen Iverson get his name back in here, did average 33 points a game in this season on 25 field goal attempts. But um, yeah, I feel comfortable with that, that he's right outside the top five offensively. Um, so I think that's a good spot for him. Yeah. 
So now let me just get some math going in my head. So basically we had um, for sure pretty much seven guys ahead of him. I know you had, you had Billups at eight, right? Correct. I had uh, the seven guys you named and then Chauncey was number eight. So the guys we kind of discussed after this are all guys I had. So Pierce was right behind him, Gilbert, Marion, Brand, Wallace, Shaq. Those were the next six guys in order after Chauncey Billups. You had Gilbert at 10? I did. Wow. Okay. Awesome. So, um, Basically, like if we wanted to open this up a little bit more, we could probably say like if you were giving a more, if you were a little bit lower on Billups, you might have him at like 11, 12-ish, right? So we have him somewhere in that 8 to to 12 range. Uh, That's, I mean, that's like a a really, really high all-NBA player. And so like, you know, people will like, I've heard people say, you know, uh, Billups' only real thing is that he's, you know, the um finals MVP on that 04 Pistons team. This is two years removed from that. And we're talking yep. about a top 10 player in the league, top, top six offensive player in the league, top seven offensive player, whatever you want to say. But uh it's just to illustrate like that his kind of again ahead of its time shot diet, his ability to to pick his spots, the playmaking, the passing, the leadership, all of that it really made for one hell of a player. And, you know, the Detroit community is lucky to have had someone of that caliber in our lore. Yeah. I mean, I just want to continue to emphasize his per 100 possessions and, you know, free throw attempts. And those, like, this was a team that played very slow and methodical. Everybody knows that he was the engine of that. And I think what, I really value Matt, and I know I've already said it, but is playing at that pace, but being able to play with the aggressiveness that he was able to play with whenever it was required. It is not easy to run set for Ben Wallace, run set for Rip Hamilton, run set for Rashid Wallace, do all of these things. And then like, oh, now we need a bucket. Now I'll go be aggressive and kind of flip that switch. It's a lot easier to be quite quite honestly, Paul Pierce, Gilbert Arenas, Allen Iverson, where it's just, I can just be a straight bucket getter all game long and not really worry about it. And I just really, really value what that brings to an offensive team and what kind of value that brings to winning basketball. Mm -hmm. No, well said. And like, you know, you mentioned coach speak. There's a reason why coaches, you know, coach (laughs) NBA teams, like they do know the game of basketball, they understand, and maybe they can't always they, they kind of talk about it in like cliche ways, but like, I mean, you w- watch the film, you know, watch the film and you'll start to see what you're talking about. The the pump fakes, the, the fake passes, the way he just like resets the offense after an offensive rebound, all that little, little stuff. Um, it's a winner. And there's a reason why even after he left Detroit, literally that year, he goes to the Western conference finals with the Nuggets. Like he has that kind of imprint on winning. So now just to kind of jog both our memories, jog the memories of anyone who might be listening to this, reading this, for those who were not fortunate enough to experience Chauncey Belps when he was playing, can you um, give us a little bit of a breakdown of his game, kind of the need to knows, what made him special? 
You know, Matt, I think the first thing that always comes to my mind when I think of Chauncey is toughness, mental toughness. You know, he had been through six teams by the time we got him and, you know, he'd been kicked around, he'd been hurt, he hadn't gotten to play. He was, you know, I think he was in a place where he was wanting to be coached. And I think Rick Carlisle helped him a lot, you know, the, the first time that he was with uh, Detroit or not the first time, but when he was with Detroit before we got there. But he hadn't gotten to the level that that he actually got to because I think Rick had his own idea about what Chauncey could be. And Larry just wanted Chauncey to be the best Chauncey he could be, which means, you know, be a great shooter, uh, learn to defend better, and learn to run a team better. And And I think what made him special is he was open to all of that. You know, most guys that that are so kind of one-dimensional, because in the beginning, he was a shooter. He was a scorer. You know, he was a two-guard. And uh, a guy with that ability isn't always open to saying, I'm going to make my – I'm going to make Rip Hamilton a better two-guard by getting the ball when he's open. And uh, – but I, he bought in, and Larry really worked and focused on making Chauncey a better, you know, kind of commander and floor general – and, you know, I, I hate to say this, Chonks will be bad at me, but in the beginning when we first had him, we when we classified his defense on pick and rolls, we called him Velcro because he would hit a pick and just stick. Mm-hmm. But over the course of the year, he got great. I mean, he was one of our better perimeter defenders by the end of the first year. And, uh, and I think it was because of his mental toughness. He was willing to, you know, kind of bite the bullet and learn. And... Um, I, th- I think that's what really made him special. Again, being the great shooter that he was, I mean, everybody had to guard him because you couldn't leave him open. He'd make every open shot. So um, having that ability really opened up the game for him when he was willing to listen to Larry and kind of become a better uh, teammate, better you know, floor general. Mm-hmm. You, said, you said a lot there, Coach, I want to unpack. One thing that kind of just surprised me that you said is because – you know, when you watch those Pistons teams, you think of defense, you think like Billups is kind of the head of the snake. He's like initiating things. He was like one. I mean, once like you guys were in full form, I always thought he was a pretty solid guard defender. He was strong. So it's interesting to to know that like before that, that wasn't always the case. He kind of had to with intensity, effort, you know, institutional knowledge, you kind of had to groom him to become a better defender. No question. And when we first got there, his defensive footwork wasn't great. But no one had ever taught him. No one had ever demanded that he be a good defender. And if you're going to play for Larry, I mean, you either defend or you're not going to play. And and he really bit into it, though. At first, it wasn't great. It wasn't easy. They butted heads a little bit. Um, but he butted, Larry butted heads with everybody except yeah. Ben. You know, Rip Hamilton. Again, when we got there, Rip thought it was his team. Chauncey thought it was his team. And Larry said, look, guys. It's Ben's team. And uh, so, but they all, they all got together. It was, it was sort of like having a, a dog sled, you know, and you got a lot of lead dogs and they have to learn how to pull together. And they really did by the, again, by the end of the year, when we played the Lakers, it was a joke. They had the Lakers. It should have been 4-0. You know, they hit it. Kobe hits that ridiculous shot to win game two in LA. But other than that, we dominated. Yeah. No, I mean, Brown has this, like, if you look, cause he's been, he's had the like 
if you want to call it luxury, the luxury of being on so many different teams throughout the years. And like pretty much regardless of the defensive personnel he has, like they're just always really good on defense. Like he's probably one of the best uh, defensive head coaches, like in NBA history, if you look at it. And then of course he gets paired with Ben Wallace, one of the best defenders ever. And it's like a match made in heaven. So it doesn't surprise me that, that uh, coach Brown's favorite was Ben Wallace. But um, so back to, you've mentioned it a little bit, the shooting thing. And you know, when I, um, when I, when I mentioned to my boss that I wanted to do Chauncey Billups as one of the players for the series, he's like, you know, Matt, I don't really get what makes him revolutionary. Like, I know he was like a great player and, um, and it kind of sneaks up on you because if you look at like, for example, his field goal percentage, field goal percentage was always low. I pulled it up from uh, 2005, 2006. I know you weren't with the team that season, but just the numbers I have in front of me, he's like a 42% field goal shooter, which is like, you know, if you look at that, you're like, that's not that good. But if you look at his true shooting, he's in the 96th percentile in scoring efficiency. And it's because he takes so many threes and free throws and the nature of how the Pistons were structured during those years, they didn't really have, they were, they were an incredibly balanced team, but they didn't have their one weakness is probably they didn't have like another great ball handler who could kind of initiate the offense other than Chauncey Prince could a little bit like with side pick and rolls and stuff. But other than Chauncey, nobody could really initiate in that level. So he ended up having to take a lot of these pull-up threes could you, was that something you guys like kind of picked up on? Like, hey, this guy's like a, a really good pull-up three-point shooter. Well, of course, Larry is is probably the greatest evaluator I've ever been around. He can look at a guy for 10 minutes and tell you everything he can do, everything he can't do, and everything he's going to be able to do in two years. And I think he saw Chauncey as a unique player, someone who shot the ball with such confidence. There's no way to rein that in in a way that would be beneficial to the team. Um, But what Larry did was kind of blend Chauncey's abilities in with Rashid Wallace and with Ben, you know, he would have Ben and Rashid pick for Chauncey in transition. Of course, Ben always dove and Rashid always popped. And depending on how they played Chauncey, the other two were able to take advantage of the defensive schemes. If, if Chauncey, if they ever went under, which Peyton, unfortunately, tried to do some of the finals and got scorched, you know, uh, again, I think Larry and his ability to adapt a player to play the right way. Um, Cause again, I think Chauncey probably wanted to shoot it every time, but that wasn't always the right thing. But by giving Chauncey the freedom to shoot open shots, I, I think it made Chauncey feel conf- even more confident about running the team, not just being a scorer, but running the team but he got plenty of open shots Mm -hmm. because we, I think Matt, if you go back and look at the whole season, we ran more pick and rolls than anybody in the league side angle and, and, and mid pick and roll. And that was sort of the start of the way the games played today. You know, we, we had a a really big stretch four and Rashid and a diver uh, and Ben. And what we really needed was another, to, to be a real modern team, either Tayshawn or Rip or both had to be great three-point shooters, and they weren't. But they had their own speciality. I mean, Rip was the best two-point shooter in the league, and Tayshawn was just a unique player who could post up little guys and, you know, take big guys off the dribble outside. Um, but, but Chauncey's ability to shoot the ball 
it just opened the whole game up offensively for us. Yeah. Now I was going to shelve this for a little bit later, but um, that Lakers series, right? The 2003, 2004 playoffs in general, Billups plays such an important role. I think the, the backbone of what you guys did, you guys probably had the best playoff defense of the modern era that season, but on offense, you know, Billups was able to keep you guys afloat. And he mentions that in that Lakers series, well, the real thing that killed them was they couldn't stop you guys in the pick and roll with Billups as the ball handler. Can you kind of go into detail? What kind of coverages were they trying? Why was that not effective against you guys? Well, I think, you know, anytime, again, Larry had lots of different ideas about how to beat the Lakers. One, you know, Rip Hamilton running Kobe Bryant ragged if Kobe were to guard him, which he did quite a bit. Um, it made it tough for Kobe to make shots at the other end late in the game. So that was one thing. Running Shaq on every opportunity was another thing. And, you know, in transition, again, having Ben and Rashid and Chauncey in transition, that really was tough on the Lakers. And, and I think, again, Chauncey, one thing we haven't talked about, but he was revolutionary to me in that he was strong and tough like Oscar Robertson, but he shot the ball like Steph Curry. I mean, how do you guard a guy like that? It, he just made it tough when people tried to, and, they, and the Lakers tried to get up on him and with Shaq, with the point I was making about Shaq, he wanted to be off. Shaq never wanted to leave the lane. He, he wanted to run down the floor, get in the paint on offense and get two feet from the basket, catch it and dunk it. And on defense, he wanted to stay in the lane so he could get the off or defensive rebound. But when you're playing, you know, Chauncey, you can't do that. If Well, you can, but you're putting Peyton and uh, Fisher on an island. They're by themselves. Good luck with that. And I think that's really what the game came down to in, in a lot of ways was just and the season. Big guys just they didn't know how to handle Chauncey and pick and roll. The league hadn't seen it enough over and over and over again. Yeah. I mean, cause it, switching wasn't really in vogue at the time. And, you know, if Shaq, like Shaq was like people, you know, underrate how, how athletic he was and kind of nimble he was, but you can only be so nimble when you're like over 300 pounds, you know? So it's, it's kind of hard to dance with like a guard like Rolls, that. It's like a Rolls Royce or a, a you know, going against a Ferrari. I mean, you know, and Chauncey, I know everybody said he had athletic limitations, that he wasn't the greatest athlete. But going downhill, he was really fast, you know, mm -hmm. and he had this great ability to finish, which nobody ever talks about how, how well he could concentrate at the end. He made so many circus shots in our two years. We would just look at each other and say, how did that go in? You know, but, and, and I think that's another thing that people kind of go to sleep on Chauncey about is he led our team in free throws, but he also wanna, led our team in three-point shots. I want to get into that. So um, you did mention he was like, a, his, the finishing was a little bit harder for him because I think like Ben clogged the lane a little bit because he wasn't really that great of a spacer. But um, he's not like, you know, you think of like Allen Iverson, you know, just lightning fast first step, uh, tight handle. He would just play after play, he would just bash down in the rim with the trees, you know, Billups could finish, but like he got a lot of free throws. And I think he was probably honestly the first guy I've ever seen do this by just like using the threat of his three point shot, pump faking guys out, 
getting them in the air and then leaning into them. Like, I remember I watched it when I was a kid and I'm like, holy crap, this guy's like cheating, man. That's not a foul. And then, you know, you watch it. And now like at this age, knowing what I know about basketball, I'm like, this guy's a genius. Is this something you guys were like actively doing? Did Billups know like this is what he was doing? I think he did. I, I, I mean, we didn't really talk to him about it. Of course, we recognized it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, he was such a threat and he was so good in pick and roll and he had the ability to get in the lane and get to the free throw line. And he was a 90% free throw shooter. So I think it just all clicked for him. And to me, I think he, he we never talked about it, but I bet he studied Red, Reggie Miller and Kobe. Because those two guys, to me, were the guys that did that a lot, you know, more than other people. Uh, and again, it was because they were such offensive threats, Reggie from the outside and, and Kobe, just because he was such a, you know, a great offensive all around player and had such a great first step. Um, and, you know, Michael Jordan got a lot of that stuff, too. But he was so athletic. He, he got by people so easy. He didn't have to use the, the fake as much. But I bet he studied, and again, we never talked about it, but I bet he studied Reggie and, and Kobe on how they drew fouls. Yeah, no, the Kobe one's a good one. I didn't even, I'm kind of mad at myself for not thinking that one because like, you know, I, I studied Kobe pretty in depth about a year and a half ago. And I did remember he was like, he was the best at drawing free throws from like the mid range, the way he would work like in the mid post. Um, and he just kind of had all the tricks in his bag. But yeah, Billups was kind of the one of the first guys I'd ever seen do that with a three-point shot. And you know that's so valuable because you're getting three free throws at 90% free throw shoot. That's like a 90% three-point shot. You cannot, not even Steph Curry in shoot-around hits three-pointers at 90%. You know what I mean? So like such a valuable shot. Another guy, go ahead, Coach. What made Chauncey so unique is that whether it was a live dribble, in other words, he hadn't dribbled Mm -hmm. yet, or he had finished dribbling, his fakes were just as you know, uh, effective, efficient, mm-hmm. no matter which. And usually a guy is like Reggie was better. You know, if he had a live dribble faking you, you know, Kobe was better at the end of his dribble, but Chauncey was equally good. No matter whether he'd already dribbled or he hadn't dribbled yet. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you there, coach. Another guy, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. That kind of reminded me stylistically of Kobe after he gets injured. Tim Hardaway, when he kind of loses the crossover juice, he starts taking a bunch of pull-up three-pointers like Billups. They kind of remind me each other. And they have like a similar statistical footprint if you if you really get into the, the nitty-gritty. What do you think of that one? I can see that every bit. Uh, Hardaway, I didn't really get to see him in the league as much as some of the other players um, just because of when I entered and, and when he left. But uh, just watching film and everything, I can see that. Um, again, Chauncey, again, another thing that people kind of go to sleep on Chauncey is his ball handling ability. He handled the ball really well. And being able to move as well as he did, you know, kind of like Steph Curry or Steve Nash. You know, the, the two of those, if you could take Curry and Nash and kind of put them together and put a little Hardaway in there, that's kind of who Chauncey is. He's not any of them. But if you combined all of them, that's kind of how he played. Yeah, no, I agree. Nash also is similar to um, Billups with uh, a lot of the unassisted three pointers. Nash was also actually a uh, a subject of our little series. He uh, he was chapter one was his little chapter. But um, I was going to ask Coach one player who he gets a lot of flack for doing what Billups did today 
And he's like been on the record as saying like he studied Bill Ups. He's a huge fan of him. Trey Young. Do you see, obviously Trey Young is not nearly as sturdy, not nearly the defender Billups ended up being, but like, do you see some similarities with that, the pull-up three-point shooting? Oh yeah. I mean, he's a great offensive player. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think Trey has learned some of the lessons that Chauncey had to go through and learn, you know, again, being with six teams and kind of failing for a while, it really gives you this mental toughness to be able to overcome stuff. And I think Trey got thrown in, you know, as sort of a savior type right from the beginning. And I don't think he has learned to play with his teammates as well. Uh, he doesn't really make his teammates better all the time, like Chauncey learned to do. But his skill level and the things that he can do on the offensive end are, are very similar to Chauncey's. Uh, Trey's a little quicker, but Chauncey was bigger and stronger. And I think Chauncey created problems for people because of his strength and size. Like Derek Fisher had, he couldn't guard Chauncey. He wasn't, he wasn't big and strong enough. Um, but, but Trey is, is very unique. If he could ever learn to be a great teammate, I mean, the sky's the limit for that kid. I agree with you. He could be one of the best, um, already is one of the best offensive players in the league, but he could really just solidify himself at the top tier of just basketball players. It's funny. I, it just came to me in my head, but like, I was thinking about it. Like you guys, obviously I don't think you posted Chauncey up as much um, as Larry Brown did with Mark Jackson, but yeah, Chauncey kind of had that similar cause he was strong. He was like a bigger guy. He was like, what Chauncey was about six, three ish, six, four ish or whatever. Uh, similar type of build to Mark Jackson. Yeah, we actually, we had several plays to post him up. And during the course of our two years, we probably posted him up 30 times, 40 times. Mm -hmm. You know, it just didn't come every game. Uh, it was situational. And I think that's another thing that for Larry and Chauncey, they got along so well because they they both rec could rec – well, Larry recognized everything. Mm -hmm. You know, he had basically a photographic memory. And, uh, you know, when he saw things happening in the game, he would tell Chauncey things to do. And because it happened so often, Chauncey got good at recognizing, like, you know, we ran a basic play called three down, which was just single double with the bigs coming down. The like floppy. Rhythm, yeah, floppy. Yeah. And them coming off. But if the big showed, you know, Rashid or Ben would go to the rim and Chauncey would throw it to the rim. And after about two months of practice and games, Larry didn't have to call a timeout to say, Chauncey, the big is exposed. You know, Ben's shoulder, uh, basket side shoulders open, throw it to the rim because Chauncey mm -hmm. would just see it. And, and I think that, again, is another uh, element to Chauncey and his development that, that people really don't talk about, how he became a, a – another good example was in the playoff series, especially maybe the last game, if I'm remembering correctly, Corliss got a smaller playing player on him, and sometimes it was Kobe. And Chauncey would call Corliss's number, just go right down, post him up, and, you know, again, either get – Kobe in foul trouble or Corliss is going to score. And I think that was a, that's something Trey Young, I don't think he's there yet to understand that about his teammates, to give them that confidence, you know, uh, and Chauncey was great. He made Tayshawn confident. He made Ben confident. Um, so I, I think that's something I'd like to see Trey Young do better in the, in the future. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, we've been talking a lot about Billups, like I ability to kind of diagnose the weak points in a defense. And I know you guys ran a lot of that, that three down to try and get rip, you know, through those like 
little he was so such a great that's a different different podcast but such a great like movement player the cuts the pin downs the jukes all that stuff was like reggie miller just not the three-point shooting but um billups was forced at times to kind of rein it in and you know flip when coach saunders came in there god rest his soul he kind of opened things up for him a little bit more offensively when you look back on it do you do you kind of like think to yourself like huh we probably should have let Billups kind of be the focal point a little bit more? You know, I don't think so. I I think Larry had the confidence to let Chauncey shoot threes in transition. Um, And the reason he would allow that, he just asked Chauncey to recognize time and score. Mm -hmm. You know, again, Larry always harped on playing the right way. and, And he wanted to take advantage of defensive weaknesses. And for Chauncey to shoot a a pull up in transition. If we had somebody who was on the board like Ben, because Ben ran so well, well, it's going to be a long rebound. And Ben was quicker than everybody. If you look in the finals, how many times did Ben run down long rebounds? It was ridiculous. You know, he had 20 rebounds in two or three games and a lot of them were offensive because we took outside shots. There were long rebounds. And I think Larry was okay with that. But again, Chauncey, I think just became a consummate guard and said, I'm not going to settle. You know, that's where, to me, he he became like Oscar Robertson. If you gave Oscar Robertson a 20-footer, he wasn't going to take it. He wanted a 15-footer. And if you gave him a 15-footer, he wanted to get to the basket. And I think Chauncey just saw the benefit, and you know, and how to be an efficient player by taking advantage of defensive weaknesses. So I don't think that letting Chauncey shoot more, you know, open shots would have helped our team particularly. Uh, now, if we'd have been a little more shorthanded, we didn't have Rashid, we didn't have Rip, we didn't have Tayshawn. Uh, and, and another guy, Elton, Elton Campbell was unbelievable on that team. You know, a, a real veteran, smart, but knew how to score inside. And, and uh, again, if he didn't have all those great players with him, I think it might have been different. You know, he might have been more like Trey because maybe Trey doesn't have that, those guys that he feels confident in. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't think letting him have more range would have helped us if, you know, maybe Chauncey would have scored more, but I don't think we would have won more games. Mm -hmm. Now coach, um, we mentioned Trey young, you mentioned Steph Curry a little bit. Is there anyone else since Billups that you've seen play that are like made you smile a little bit? Cause it's like, man, he kind of reminds me of Chauncey. Matt, I'm telling you, Chauncey is so unique Mm -hmm. that the only time I see things like Chauncey, it's glimpses of a guy doing something, but then he can't do other things. You know, Chauncey was so good at getting a guy on his hip and pick and roll and putting him in jail. Yeah. And you know, when I watched Drew holiday, sometimes he could do that. You know, I had was in new Orleans with he and, and we had Anthony Davidson, he running pick and roll and he could, really do a good job of getting the guard to, to screw up by running into the, to the screen, which Chauncey did over and over and over again. But then, you know, I don't see Drew shooting open shots as well as Chauncey. He's starting to get there this last pa- this past season. He really, I don't know if it's sustainable, but he was really starting to shoot the ball like really well. So maybe, maybe he's coming along. He's discovering his like late stage Chauncey Billups, but that, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. So I think Drew a little bit, but again, it's just glimpses. But again, when I watch Steph Curry, sometimes I see glimpses of, of, of Chauncey and things that he did. 
But I just think he was so unique. I don't think there's anyone out there right now that's exactly like him. Mm -hmm. I feel like he's kind of like a coach's dream at that point guard position. Like coaches, like every coach that talks about him, I've ever heard speak about him, just kind of loves the guy. And you could kind of tell like the moment he retired, like, yeah, this guy's going to be a, a head coach someday. Like it was pretty much set in stone. So it's cool that he he has that in Portland now. Funny enough, you know, in Portland, he has the chance to coach Damian Lillard. And Lillard, again, not not the defensive player Chauncey developed into, but he is he has kind of like that. You know, always everyone always kind of um, praises him because he has like that old school mentality, and he's a, an incredible shooter. Do you yes. see any of Lillard in Billups? Oh yeah, um, and you know I, I mean, was going to bring him up. Way around, but yeah. yeah, no, I, I do I do see a little bit of Chauncey and, and Damian because. Pick and roll. He runs it really well, like Chauncey does. He's a great outside shooter. I don't think he has the whatever it is when he gets to the basket as well as Chauncey did to be able to draw fouls as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe, you know, again, having Larry Brown forcing Chauncey to, to work on his footwork and, and making him um, kind of take responsibility for being a good defensive player, and, and especially when you've got, you know, Ben Wallace there who's kind of a team leader, whose, you know, thing is defense. I think if Damian was in that situation, maybe he would become a better defensive player um, because Chauncey certainly wasn't when we first got it. You know, he had a lot of deficiencies defensively. Um, but by the time, again, we left in, in 05, he, he was, again, he was second team all, all league and as a defensive player, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's quite a, an accomplishment, really. Yeah, no, just uh, incredible, incredibly balanced player. Incredibly, the balance is like, balance is the word I think that best um, describes this team, this team in general. Just like the model for if you don't have like one of these five, six guys, like just superstar level offensive talents, that this is how you should probably look to build your team with balance, you know? Um. Somebody should honestly write a book about the way this team was kind of like put together and their journeys through those five Eastern Conference Finals runs. But um, you and you can't you can't say the final that that championship game against the Lakers that you guys clinched the the championship with. But um, what's your outside of that favorite memory during your time in Detroit? I think it was right after we got Rashid Wallace. Um, we went on a West Coast swing and we held like, I don't know, three or four straight teams to under 70 points and one under 60. And I, I just realized right then that, you know, because when playoff basketball starts, Matt, what really becomes important is being able to say we can get a stop the next possession. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you can say we can stop them the next possession you've got a chance to win if you do everything else right. And I realized right then that we could not only step and stop them the next possession, we might be able to stop them four or five possessions in a row. So how's the team going to beat us? And I think that West coast swing, it was a game with, I know Seattle was in it. I can't remember who else, but it was really important for us and, and giving our team the confidence to know that we were a championship caliber. Because I think they always knew they were good. But again, 50 games and not being able to advance out of the Eastern Conference, they hadn't been able to do that. And 
Larry, that's one of his great uh, attributes. He empowers the guys on the team. Like we never said, this is how we're going to play pick and roll tonight. Larry would go to Chauncey and Ben and Rashid and say, how do you guys want to play this? We're going to play this mid pick and roll with Duncan. And, you know, it's, it's a tough guard. You know, how do you want to play it? And, and Larry knew that they might not always give him the right answer. Mm-hmm. But he'd say, well, we'll try that. If it doesn't work, I'll come up with something else, mm-hmm. you know, but let's try that and see how it goes. And that gave them this great feeling that they were a, a really special part of it. They weren't just, you know, well, I'm going to do what the coach says. And I think that, again, if you watch that team play in the finals, every player that came on that floor was confident. I mean, Mike James, Lindsey Hunter. Lindsey Hunter was devastating to them defensively. And, I, again, Tayshawn, the way he shot the ball, uh, which he hadn't, you know, really been known to being a three-point shooter but made some threes in that series. It just – it was a special group. Yeah, I uh, definitely agree with you on that. Um, I was going to say, I mean, you guys were so, so lethal defensively, so suffocating that the league is like literally looking at this. So like, we need to find out a way to fix this. Like we have to stop them. They're, they're going to, they're, nobody's going to score any points. Nobody's going to watch any games because they're so good at defense, you know? The league hated us. Mm-hmm. David Stern hated us. There was no question about it. You know, they, they were, they wanted to do everything they could. When they looked at, you know, this, the box score and it was 92-75, they said, no, 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 no. We wanted 130 to 129. And they just, they, they did so many different things to try to, but they hated Larry Brown, let me tell you. <laughs> I know, I, I was around. I could see David Stern talking to Larry and he did not like the way Larry was, you know, kind of shifting the game a little bit. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Blazing the Trail. If you enjoyed this, be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It goes a long way towards raising awareness for the series. Hey, I don't make the rules here, just the podcasts. Also, be sure to download the Basketball News app for notifications when new articles and podcast episodes come out from me and all my other wonderful coworkers at Basketball News. That about does it for me. I'll see you guys next time for the Chris Weber episode. But in the meantime... Be safe and have an awesome day.